Matthew chapter 5. If you're visiting with us today, maybe aren't familiar with the Bible, we're so glad you're here. We um, have printed the text for you on page 11 of your worship guide. This is God's Word, Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 10. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You may be seated. Will you pray with me again and ask God's blessing on his word this morning? Let's pray. Father, we come to your word and ask for you to change us by it. Sharpen us where we need to be sharpened. Correct us where we need to be corrected. Comfort us where we need to be comforted. You who searched us and know us. Know how to apply your word in the most personal way. So Holy Spirit, make your word come alive in us. Maybe some of us for the very first time. To be spiritually awakened by you so that your your word digs deep into our soul and, and comes alive. Oh, Father, most of all, we want to see Jesus. So would he who comes from the Father and the Son show us Jesus. May your spirit draw our eyes to the Savior. For we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we're studying the Beatitudes, the series of eight uh, sayings by Jesus where he is telling us what the flourishing life is. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's telling us that you have been flying upside down and if he doesn't write you, he's going to, you're going to crash your plane into the ground. You see, it's not terribly uncommon for fire pilots to drive their planes accidentally straight into the ground because they're flying upside down and they don't realize it. And they pull the stick to go up and in doing so, because they don't know which direction they are, they drive their craft straight into the ground. And this is what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes. He's flipping us over. He's flipping us over before we kill ourselves by driving our lives straight into the ground. He who was the most human person who ever walked on the face of the earth, he who was God in flesh, knows the pathway to human flourishing. And it's telling us like this. It's upside down. The meek will inherit the earth. Well, look around you. That's not what you see, is it? The meek often get crushed and pushed aside. The merciful will receive mercy. Well, look around you. The merciful often get crushed and bullied. Blessed are those who mourn. Look around us. We have a hundred billion dollar economy that's risen to do nothing more than entertain ourselves away from anything that might be uncomfortable and cause us to mourn. And now here's Jesus saying, Blessed are those who are persecuted for following him. Look, he's a terrible salesman. Come follow me, your life will be blessed when other persons people persecute you and revile you. I mean, imagine walking into a car dealership and the, and the salesman saying, hey, look, you've got to wreck this car to really enjoy it. 
or buying a house and the realtor saying, this house is going to burn down if you buy it. Like if you're sitting on the sidelines um, and wondering if you should give your life to Jesus and follow him, here's his, his, his warning to you that comes with a blessing. You've got to die for me in order to be blessed. A Christian woman in 2011 was in Ethiopia. She was from Ethiopia, sorry. She was in Saudi Arabia. Her little house church is gathered to pray. Just meeting in the corner of their house to pray, which is a crime in Saudi Arabia. And so her house is raided. She's not out in the community. She's not evangelizing. She's just at home. And she is imprisoned and sexually abused with 28 other people who are doing the same thing. And Jesus says, blessed are you if you lose for my sake. I will reward you greatly. If you die, you'll gain. If you bear the cross, I'll reward you with a crown. That seems so upside down in a world where we will do anything to just get along so that we can prosper. Jesus is confronting that. And yet, I think we intuitively know that in order to have anything of worth, you have got to sacrifice yourself to something great. Anything of worth requires sacrifice. We just intuitively know that. Even if you're not a Christian, you have a deep sense that in order to gain something valuable, you have to sacrifice something. I was reading this week. Roger Federer, the greatest male tennis player of all time, hands down. Hundreds of accolades, hundreds of millions of dollars. He's got an empire set up. This is what Federer does every day. He gets up seven days a week and he conditions for an hour. Sometimes in the heat of Dubai. And then he plays five complete sets against two people. And then when he gets done with that, he pulls out his balls and he serves a hundred serves for another hour of conditioning. Every day, seven days a week. See, the thing that sets world-class athletes apart is often not their abilities. It's their fortitude, their willingness to die, to sacrifice everything in order to gain the accolades. But what does an athlete get for giving himself away? What does the businessman get for putting in 100-hour weeks? A career... It's often over by the time they're 30 or 40 and then they're wondering what to do with the rest of their lives. Or the loss of a family because he's never home. And so here's Jesus. He's flipping us over before we drive our lives straight into the ground. The gain of losing for the sake of Jesus involves the greatest blessing he has to give. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for they will gain the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So when the Bible says persecuted, I think we've got to to define our terms. I was reminded this week, and, and persecuted, particularly in the Bible, means a pretty broad spectrum of things. In fact, in both Greek and Hebrew, there are pretty broad ranging terms um, that are used and translated to persecute. They just generally mean, both in Greek and Hebrew, to pursue with the intent of bringing harm. And so Jesus has his, has his mind a range of things. That it can include death. 
obviously, many of his, all, all but one of his apostles die before the end of their lives. Only one lives out his life. Some of it on one end of the spectrum is death, but in verse 11, he opens up the other end of the spectrum. He has in mind reviling and, and people speaking falsely against you. So if we want to draw that spectrum as our spectrum when we're talking about in these verses, harassment on one end, death on the other. That's a pretty broad range of experiences. I mean, do you think you need to keep that, we need to keep that in mind. The other thing to keep in mind is that these two beatitudes, 8 and 10, are really one beatitude. This is a common way of emphasizing something very important to repeat oneself in ancient Hebrew. Like when you're typing your text message and you want your kid to really get what you're trying to say, you might use all caps. Well, an ancient Hebrew would say something twice and then build on it the second time. It's a form of Hebrew poetry to provide emphasis called parallelism. And this is what Jesus is really one beatitude. And it's the only one where he doubles up on what he's saying. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are you when others revile you. And so Jesus says that persecution will come if you belong to him and are practicing righteousness. That kind of begs the question, what are we going to be persecuted for? You're going to be persecuted for belonging to Jesus and practicing righteousness. I mean, let's be honest, Jesus was not a very well-liked person. I mean, his own people picked up stones to throw at him because he claimed to be the son of God. His own people. Sure, he had large crowds, large crowds at times, but by John chapter 6, they're all gone. They've all abandoned him and left him. Accused of all kinds of things. They mocked him. I mean, those, those crowds that so reveled in him then chose to murder him. By crucifixion. Because it was the most heinous way they could think of persecuting someone. They don't stone him. They don't, they don't want him just hung out or exiled. They think, I hate him so much. I want him dead by crucifixion. They want to torture him in the most cruel way. And so if you're going to follow Jesus. Here he goes again. He's a great salesman. If you're going to follow Jesus, then you need to be prepared to become like him. If you're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and what Jesus said, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which means in one way, I want to be like him. And here's his answer. You'll be satisfied. You'll actually become like him. He will change the way you live your life. You will become one who loves his law and wants to walk in his ways. But as you become like Jesus in righteous living, here's his promise. It's not going to go well for you. In fact, the world will also begin to treat you like they treated him. Great salesman. Jesus tends this with a promise. In John chapter 15, if you're united to me and one with me, you will bear much fruit. Like I'm the vine, you're the branches. You'll become like me. The life that is in me will flow in you. Your life will be radically changed. You'll become like me. 
righteousness that was not part of your life will become part of your life. You'll walk in my ways. And then he says, the world hates me. It will hate you too. Now, if righteousness is the result of being united to Jesus and the world will persecute you because of righteousness, then this can actually act as a litmus test for where you are spiritually. Am I growing in righteousness? If so, then I'm united to Jesus. If my life has in no way been changed or is being changed, then I'm not one with him. But if I am one with him and my life is being changed, I will also experience some level of at least reviling. Even in a Christianized culture like ours, not not a Christian culture, a Christianized culture, or like Flannery Connor said about our culture, a Christ-haunted culture, where Christianity is widely acceptable so long as it doesn't confront any of the idols of our culture. So you become like Jesus and you confront the idols of materialism. Or you become like Jesus and you want to honor the Sabbath day. You will get mocked. Even in our Christianized culture, you should at some points feel like an outsider if you belong to Jesus. Some level of estrangement because of righteousness in your life. And if you're not, if you're not experiencing it, just at some level, and I'll explain in a second what those would look like, you should be asking yourself, why not? Because the promise is that what is true about Jesus is true about you. That's what it means to be united to Jesus. What's true about Jesus is true about you. He's righteous. By faith in Him, so are you. He is living with resurrection power. By faith in Him, united to Him, so are you. But what's true about Jesus is also true about you. Expect to be persecuted. The world hated me. John's like, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Of course it does. You're united to Jesus. And that, that should get us off the fence. Right? I mean, if you think, if, you're, if you kind of think about your relationship with Jesus and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to try to cruise through life. Jesus is staking a... Uh, a stake in the ground and he's saying you can't do that you got to get off the fence you're either going to bear righteousness for me or he says i'll cut you off and throw you away but if you do bear righteousness for me the world's going to cut you off and throw you away righteousness is living like jesus but in a jesus-like way this has to be said it's easy to derive our identity from being persecuted It's a fatal flaw. The Jesus-like way of going about life is marked by love and gentleness, right? I mean, the fruit that belongs to the sinful life, the life that we inherited from Adam that we need to be delivered from, that life is marked by things such as enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions. But the fruit that Jesus produces by his life-giving spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There's a difference between being persecuted for righteousness and being treated harshly because you're just a jerk. You can't say when you're being harsh and a jerk and people get upset at you, I'm being persecuted for righteousness. This is my identity. Look how good I am. No, you're just being rude and obnoxious. If, you're a Facebook, if you Facebook rant and people say something back, 
You're probably not being persecuted. You're just being treated that way because you decided to rant on Facebook. If you take a self-righteous posture towards people around you and people push back, you're not being persecuted. But if you're living like Jesus in a Jesus-like way in your speech and conduct, if you're practicing righteousness in a way that's marked by love and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, and then you are reviled, then rejoice and be glad. I mean, consider how these Beatitudes start, right? These Beatitudes start with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? Blessed are those who look inside and say, I've got nothing of good. Blessed are those who mourn because they, don't, they know I'm not what I should be. Blessed are the meek because I know there's nothing good in me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because when I look inside, it's not there. This is something that you have to produce in me. So when you start with your inadequacy, you can't take a self-righteous posture in your righteous living. I mean, you have to start with God has treated me with kindness and the world will treat me harshly, but I will respond with gentleness because this is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, don't mistake, gentleness and boldness should go together. They went together in Jesus. They should go together in our lives. Courage, willing to risk for the sake of Jesus' name and kindness go together. But remember the posture of Jesus towards his persecutors. Who when he hung on the cross said, Father, forgive them. Or Stephen, as he was being stoned by his own people, prayed two things. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I'm ready for my reward. I'm rejoicing. You've gained this for me. I'm coming to get it. And Lord, don't hold this sin against them. It's a different posture. Okay, so this, I think, should be begging the question at this point, what are we talking about when we say persecution? What is that going to look like? Well, we've all heard these glorious stories of men and women being martyred for Jesus. If you want to read them, read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Let me recommend another book for you, Persecuted. Um, that's the name of the book, written contemporary stories of persecution worldwide. Get it, read it, pray. But, but Jesus, as I said, has a lot more in mind here than, than those type of things. Most of you aren't going to be beheaded or hung on a cross upside down or have your children captured for converting to Christianity. And so he adds to, or he rather clarifies what he means by persecution in verse 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Sorry, verse 11. Falsely on my account. Now, revile isn't a common word, right? I mean, you're not going to, uh, you're not going to find hashtag revile in your Instagram feed or Twitter feed. If you're an older word, wordsmith, you might be familiar with the word. It means something along the lines of criticize insultingly. In the original Greek, the word carries with it the sense of shame associated with it. You might think of it as shaming insult. This is what Jesus has in mind. So, for instance, I thought, well, what does a shaming insult look like? Well, back in the days of Steve Spurrier, when he was coaching Florida, when Tennessee football ended up another season with yet another mediocre trip to the Citrus Bowl, he famously quipped, you can't spell citrus without UT. He wasn't making an observation. His goal was to shame his opponents with his criticism. There was an edge to it, a reviling. 
And this is what Jesus had in mind. And he knows this is more than often the experience of the Christian who lives in this world, who's trying to live out the life of Jesus in this world. So let me give you examples of what it might look like for you to encounter this in your daily life. How you might live righteously in a moment and then get a reviling response. So perhaps you're in sales. And you realize, I could make this sale. I can convince this client to buy this, but he really doesn't need it. And so, instead of closing the deal, which would be both deceptive and unloving, you don't. You choose to honor that person and honor Jesus by honoring your client. And there's a good chance your boss in that moment will be upset with you. And your coworkers will get angry because this company hits sales goals. And when it does, you and they get a bonus. And your righteous deed goes punished. Or are you willing to order a test for a patient just to pride? You're unwilling to order a test for your patient just to practice your pad, your practice's bottom line. You may receive a shameful insult. Your coworkers may begin to, to shun you, not want to be around you, be angry with you because you aren't on board with their value system, which values money more than people, things more than honesty. Or a few people are gathered around the street corner and they're gossiping, really passing half-truths in the intent to damage another person. And you speak up for that person on their behalf to defend them and their reputation. And you find no longer are you a friend with this group because you watched your tongue and stood for the human dignity of another person. Or perhaps you're a college student and you just live in this atmosphere all the time where Christianity is mocked. If you're a serious Christian, you're just going to kiss, you just know intuitively, I'm just going to be mocked in this environment. You just so you just live with this sense of shame that you belong in a, to Jesus and want to follow him. You want to just hide in the corner. These are the kind of things that Jesus has in mind. These are the kind of things that we face. This is the current world that we live in to hold Jesus's view of marriage as as between one man and one woman for a lifetime means you're just generally going to feel a sense of shame. Like you're weird and outdated. You are outdated. You belong not to an old world, but to a new world where Jesus reigns and is king. You're out of date because the future is your reality and your home. And you're going to feel like an outsider in this world if you're a follower of Jesus. Which brings us to our next point. Why will the Christian be persecuted? Well, I'd already hit on this and said they'll be persecuted because you're one with Jesus and what was true about him is true about you. But it also exposes the most basic disposition of the world. It hates God. For those who missed the good old days when things like this didn't happen, you might remember the good old days of how this world started. See, John brings us back to the beginning of the conflict. It goes all the way back to the beginning. When Cain, Adam and Eve's first son, persecuted Abel, he killed him because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So when this persecution goes on, It reminds us that we're part of a great drama that's being played out in the world that we currently live. The basic orientation of the world is in conflict with Jesus. And out of that conflict, Jesus says, look, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you too. 
If you're of the world, the world would love you, but you're not of the world because I chose you out of the world. So if you're not a Christian, you might, you might be hearing this and, and see this in your own heart and wonder, you know, I'm not just indifferent to Jesus. When push comes to shove, I don't like him. I don't want anything to do with him. Most honest moment, I hate him. And then you see that, that's the world. Now you know why John says in John chapter 3 that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God so loved the world that hated him and was in rebellion to him. And its basic disposition is to want nothing to do with him. God so loved that world that he gave his only son. And so the greatest joy, finally, let me close with this. The greatest joy that the persecuted receive because this is tended with a promise twofold, as all of the Beatitudes are. Blessed are those. These are the ones who God looks at with approving delight, catches their eye, his eye, and then attended with a promise. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And that word great is with emphasis. This is greatly rewarded in heaven, beyond what you could imagine. You see, what happens is persecution has a way of testing our ultimate allegiances by either driving us into Jesus or away from him. If you struggle with love of riches and you're persecuted and you may find yourself not getting the promotion, you're either going to rejoice... Or hate Jesus because it's cost you something. Or you love the applause of others. And you're put in a place where either you're going to be bold and speak of Jesus and live in a Jesus-like way. Or you're going to be embraced. I mean, Jesus is making it clear you can't love the applause of this world and be a follower of his for very long You'll either be driven into Jesus for your identity and your delight, or you will be driven away from him. He will either become more precious to you, or it's going to become too costly to follow him. But those who are walking in Jesus' steps, this is what you get. The joy that Jesus possesses. Do you remember how the apostle said this? Why did Jesus go to the cross for the joy set before him? Do you want to know joy in your life? Kind of heart-rapturing, soul-satisfying kind of joy? And Jesus is saying, great will be your reward. This is what you'll gain. You will gain more of my joy. And those who are walking in Jesus' steps and experience persecution, as you read the stories of martyrs time and time and time and time again, the major theme that runs through it is that their experience in the moment of persecution is nothing more than joy. What can cause a man who is being stoned to death to ask for the forgiveness of those who are throwing the rocks? Joy. Samuel Rutherford was put in prison for the sake of the gospel. And this is what he wrote from prison. I never knew by my nine years of preaching, Rutherford was a Scottish pastor, I never knew by my nine years of preaching so much of Christ's love as he taught me in Aberdeen by six moons of imprisonment. Christ's cross is such a burden, right? 
Christ's cross is such a burden as sails are to a ship or wings to a bird. Can you imagine where a boat goes without sails or a motor or what a bird does without wings? It falls to the ground dead. And Rutherford says, this is, it's, it's no burden. It's no more burden than sails are to a ship to be persecuted for Christ. And that was a long time ago. More recently, a Romanian pastor imprisoned, mercilessly tortured, locked in solitary confinement, flesh being ripped off his bones. And this is what he experienced in that moment. The joy of Christ so overcame him that he would pull himself up and dance around his cell. Blood burning on the walls, flesh falling off his body, dancing with joy. When he was released, he chose to fast the first day in thankfulness for the joy he had experienced. When the apostles are called to the Sanhedrin and they're accusing them and crushing them and then they let them go, what do they do? They rejoice for the privilege of being suffered for them. If you want to know more joy, don't run away from these opportunities. Live righteously and run into them with boldness and courage, but also knowing that they will be tended to with a reward. It is in this pathway alone that you will find the reward of God's joy. If you try to avoid this pathway of being like Jesus in a Jesus-like way and therefore being persecuted or reviled, then you will die a soul-crippling, heart-starving comfort and safety. This is why Jesus is always testing our ultimate allegiances. If he's not your greatest treasure, then he's going to test your greatest treasure's ability to satisfy you. And it won't because he loves you so much to have your heart shrivel under comfort and safety. He catches the eye. There's this beautiful picture that bookends the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 6, those who have died for Christ are with him in glory, but they're crying out, how long, O Lord? And he sets them, he closes them, and he says, just wait, just hold on a second. And then Jesus returns in Revelation chapter 20, those same ones who are crying out reign with him forever and ever great will be your reward so in closing three things three things to do one pray for your persecuted brothers and sisters i recommended two books get those books read them know how to pray and what they are experiencing when one part of the body suffers the whole body suffers we are in this together pray for what is going on and their persecution. They can't make it unless Jesus sustains them. And pray for each other. When you know these times are upon you, pray. You can't make it unless Jesus sustains you. Second thing to do, don't run away from reviling. That's just the basics. Just, I'm not going to run. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to march into this. I'm gonna, whatever it is, I'm going to with boldness go in because Jesus said I should expect this and this is a good sign and as a result of this, I'm going to rejoice because my reward will be great. That reward will be Jesus. It'll be great. So deposit into my account that I can withdraw one day. It's only going to build interest if I run into reviling. Don't, don't run away from it. Third, 
Jesus, be assured that Jesus will carry you through persecuting times. You might say, when my time comes, I might not be able to stand. I will fail. It's okay. Plenty of stories of people failing and coming back to Jesus. But in those moments, instead of of saying, I might fail, instead, just make a subtle shift. While that may be true, just make a subtle shift and say, because I'm united to Jesus, I'm confident he will carry me through. You can either look at your revilers and find your, your identity and your destiny there, or you can look at Jesus and find your identity and destiny there. And so take that subtle shift. I'm going to look at him in this moment, and I'm going to say, he'll carry me through. This is the great secret of everyone who has been sustained in their persecution and reviling. They look to Jesus. And then sing. Sing these songs that Katie so beautifully sang just a few minutes ago. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He will not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him with such a cost, he will hold me me fast let's pray Father pray that you would make us bold where we are cowards make us rejoice when things are taken away from us for the sake of Christ Sharpen our hearts that we would love and hunger and thirst after righteousness and then satisfy us and then make us willing to be persecuted for the righteousness that you are producing in us. And above all, help us to remember that when one part suffers, the whole body suffers, that we might pray and suffer together, encouraging one another so that at the end of the day, what comes out of our hearts is more joy than we could ever imagine. Do this for the sake of Jesus Christ. May his glory be made known through our lives. Amen.